I'm back. Are you here? No. Joe, you're going to have to listen to this later. And you're going to learn. Uh, I don't know. Too lazy to think of something to troll you with. Welcome to Savage Beast. Uh, I'm Joe Gallagher. With me for a historic moment in this podcast is Paul McLeod. Hi, Joe. Hi. Um, Paul, for um, the first time ever. Are you fucking forgot recording? To hit record. Yes. Okay, good. That's yes. really good to hear. Yes, I am now recording. You weren't. You weren't. 20 minutes ago when we originally started this podcast. It's the first time ever, and uh, I apologize to our fans. A classic podcast, podcaster's dilemma where the time you don't record, the podcast is flowing, uh, flowing like honey. Yeah. Down I was going to say, I don't know why best. you're... I don't. I was gonna say I don't know why you're apologizing to them. Uh, they weren't there. You should be apologizing to me. But yeah, um, I was really funny during those twenty minutes. So you, you should were be there. Apologizing to them. I'm not. I'm yeah. not. I mean, you got. We got to enjoy that conversation. That's true. So that's uh, that's the only time I was ever gonna listen to that conversation anyway. Exactly. So. <laughs> so, yeah. You you didn't. You lost out on nothing. <laughs> exactly. Fair point. <laughs> it's, it's only our fans that lost out on something here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, if they kill you, I don't blame them. That's all I have to say. Let's do let's do a quick recap. Uh, we started out by talking about uh, uh, Porridge Radio uh, podcast mm-hmm. favorite. Yes, uh, recent podcast favorite uh, covering a, uh, a l- earlier podcast favorite of a band I know you like. Paul, mm-hmm. uh, Wolf Parade. Yes. There was never any doubt in your mind. No. Um, uh, um, yeah. Uh, I've seen them here in Tucson myself 16 years ago. Jesus. Yeah, I saw them in New York about, um, probably about 15 years ago. Yeah. They were good. I saw Damn. them with uh, the legendary Borf. Ha! <laughs> Borf! Borf. A Borf sighting in memory. Wow, I wonder what happened to Dr. Charles Borf. We'll have to look that up. I think he became—he either became a nurse or a lawyer. One of the—I think he became oh, okay. a lawyer. Either way, you know, he's dead. That's the—that's the fit. Yes, he's his blood has been drained. Uh, 
by our other friend who shall remain nameless. Who's <laughs> an 18th century doctor? Like, <laughs> it's just, just you know, our friend that really likes blood. Oh, yes, that one for sure. You know the one. <laughs> yeah, the one we definitely can't mention by name on this podcast list. Uh, something truly horrible happened, probably. <laughs> Just to, to the whole podcast would get to, to him it. and then to us. Yes, yes exactly. Yes. The podcast is Savage just Beast gone would from get, the internet. <laughs> Savage Beast would get Mandela affected. <laughs> I would be asking my sister, I would be telling her, like, no, you listened to every episode. You told me how much you liked it. You were the only person who, like, actually subscribed. You did a roast, and she would just be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> And I would see the fear in her eyes um, <laughs> from our nameless friend's visit. Yes, yes. The, the fear in her eyes that, and the, the, the fear that she'll lose her blood to this, this man. Um, you said too much. You said too much. You just cut out half the substance no. of possibilities. <laughs> um, okay. Paul, you made a really yeah. good point about uh, Wolf Parade and that it was a long fucking time ago and uh-huh. that music seemed very like mature from like the second stage of our lives like it's like adult music like post-college yeah and now it's like yeah I was a child then yes there we go yes <laughs> we really like half, um, half a life ago <laughs> yeah um almost literally soon enough it will be yeah. literally um but yeah, great band and great, uh, great cover. Um, I I was saying I had forgotten about it, so thanks for reminding me about it with uh, a really good version of it by a band I really like now. Um, yeah, no problem. That's uh, that's what I'm here to do is remind you of it, uh, and then have that conversation twice. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, real old person mistake. Um, speaking mm-hmm. of old people, uh, ABBA is touring again, um, mm-hmm. and I know that news comes as a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, I'm just finding out. Uh, uh, that's th- great. They have a new album, uh, and for the tour, they're going to sit in the audience and watch holograms of themselves perform. Oh, man, I'm not even going to repeat my funny joke from the first time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. Let, yeah let the let the listener imagine yes yes how funny it was what are some other things that it would be funny to do if you were not actually doing them but only watching a hologram of yourself doing it and it would seem to defeat the entire purpose if you remove your own body from it so just think about that mm-hmm. anyway i'm thinking uh, um yeah deeply deeply weird idea um, I th- it's one of those things that's like, it's kind of cool the first time somebody does it. Um, but I would be shocked if it were cool enough for anybody to actually want to see it a second time, basically. Well, you um, know, what uh, do I know? Other than like Soundgarden getting up there and putting Chris Cornell, you know, in hologram <laughs> form up front. Yeah. Uh, the truly horrifying possibilities aside. Um, yeah. You know, you know, Weezer is going to do this at some point. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I could see the Republican Party doing this with Donald Trump in like 2028. Yes. Um, wow. Ar- arguing that like uh, technically it would be the holograms first term and not Trump's just completed second term thus wouldn't count against it. 
Um, does the president have to be alive? I'm not sure that's in the Constitution. Well, he can't be dead, but I don't think the hologram was ever alive to have died. So um, oh, I think true. it's okay. But I like that idea because you could have the hologram of Trump and then like he's just like barely hanging on. He's just like in a tent, you know, an oxygen tent. Yeah. He's um, actually there. Yes. But yes. it's just a hologram, the hologram compiled from footage of uh of uh the 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 one the one where he fires you what is that called <laughs> the apprentice <laughs> the apprentice that's right um so he that looks he looks just like beautiful like he did in 2002 you know um yeah i'm in for that um i'm probably yeah. in, i'm probably would enjoy that a little more than the abba holograms honestly if every election could be the biden hologram versus the trump hologram i'm signing up for that now um Biden is is functionally a hologram already, so I don't see why we shouldn't just go all the way. That's true. That's a yes. Uh, he, that's a good way to describe his demeanor. Is hologram. <laughs> yeah, it's you know like a, a poor rendering of the man that once was, um, but it's all we have. And meanwhile, you know, other humans are doing all the decisions, uh, but he's up there for us to look at while that's going on. Uh, I use the uh, Abba hologram as a reason to. Uh, mentioned that Charlie Watts, the Rolling Stones drummer, has died. Um, uh-huh. I use that as a reason to mention that the replacement drummer, Steve Jordan, and his wife, Megan something, are cool looking. So look that up. Yes. In between, you read some Instagram DMs. <laughs> <laughs> I did not. I did not. Um, I sent Instagram DMs. Oh, there you go. No, uh, I'm just kidding. This is uh this is a podcast that slides into the DMs of the mind. <laughs> That's a t-shirt right there. Yes, there you go. Um yeah, what is a podcast but a DM straight to your mind? That's true. I'm glad though. It. I'm glad we can skip kind of the Joe Rogan bit. That didn't really go anywhere. I feel like yeah. I feel like the audience is better off. It's a funny idea, but we could have I don't think the execution was there. Yeah. Yeah, no. Um, and that's okay. Uh, mm-hmm. Not every bit lands. And you just do it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> try and get it right. We should time. just start doing this in the future, Joe. We're just uh, we're doing each podcast five times until it's perfect. Rehearsing the podcast. <laughs> we probably, like, I, I bet they would just get worse and worse. <laughs> like the of fifth, course they would. The fifth podcast <laughs> would just be pure madness. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Um, like, uh, what's that? Zardoz. Oh God. <laughs> Wait, I'm not sure what this has to do with Zardoz, but I'm taking it. I just like our our a pod an episode of Savage oh. Beast that would was rehearsed five times would be a oh bad would be Zardoz. like yes. oh okay I thought there was a more specific thematic <laughs> I don't know, there'd be a, there. a giant floating head seems appropriate. <laughs> oh man, I don't remember if we talked about Zardoz on the pod, but uh everybody should go check that out. So like the the giant the head, oh yeah, the head would like throw down guns and Yeah, that's just the most amazing image from the very beginning is yeah, the the head brings them guns and the shot of it is just like a really shitty low shot of some guns being tossed in the air. It's great. So good. And then the heads like fly around and to like, there's like many heads, right? I think there's this one and it just comes every once in a while and drops the guns off. It's okay. 
Yeah. It's like controlled Man, people by are wondering what the fuck we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> I just you got to watch Zarda. It's it's actually I do recommend it cuz it's so weird. It's a nice, it, I actually enjoyed it. Yes. It was a good bad movie yes. for sure. Yes, exactly. I Meanwhile, I'm just clicking through Google image search of young Charlotte Rampling since she was in that movie. There you it's go. Good, good search. Um Paul, we uh transitioned to stolen office furniture. Um, mm-hmm. that's a, that's a riff. I'm sorry to lose. It was good. It was all right. Yeah. You know, you were Tough buried under a pile of chairs. Um, uh-huh. just, yep. it's a Lost good my image. children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh man, it, she's doing the splits in this one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you're like getting, you're like so agitated. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> you're so hundred episodes up. in it. It's time to get horny on the pod. Joe. <laughs> you're so worked up you. by, by young Charlotte. <laughs> So worked up by young Charlotte Rampling that you're like, I have to go steal more office chairs. Like, <laughs> bringing them out. <sighs> Put them in the truck. Look, it was this or call Charlotte Rampling, okay? I think this was better. You stole um, you stole in a truck too office chairs. <laughs> Just driving it the wrong way up the freeway ramp. Like I don't even care. Yeah, like I, I wanna get caught. <laughs> Charlotte, I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, meanwhile, yeah. your work is like they like have your value to the company, and it's like slowly they're adding up the chairs next to it. And like, <laughs> they finally get to a point. It's like, nope, not worth yep. another chair. He's got to go. <laughs> the IT is like guy is like it's enough already, and they're like, no, no. I mean, there's this one chair still to the good. So anyway, yeah. Um, <laughs> Everyone shares one chair in the office, and you're like kind of like always like just behind it when they're pushing yep. it around <laughs> like kind of following it around making yeah. excuse to have a conversation with the person in the chair i'm just like i'm just like sitting cross-legged on the floor with my laptop and my lap outside their office be like no i don't know it's just i'm so used to working from home i don't even sit in my office anymore <laughs> see look practice makes perfect here yeah i <laughs> There you go, Joe. Good point. Um, um, so speaking of yeah. theft, uh, the last episode of this podcast, uh, I stole from you and gave it to mm-hmm. the birthday boy, Taylor. Happy uh, birthday, Taylor. Yeah, let's a take bitch. a special moment to wish him a happy birthday. <laughs> mm-hmm. The most public defender in Brooklyn. God bless him. Um, Paul, do you want another 30 seconds to lay into musicals since we did okay. not give you a chance on oh, that man. episode. I can't just repeat it. Um, it was good. I liked it. It was Okay. All right. Can I repeat it um, for you? Uh, no, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I have to summon the original verve of the off the cuff. Um, no. Uh, you know, of course, I was start. You know, I want to say it up front that I love and respect any of our listeners um, with the awful taste to enjoy musicals, um, that can be your thing. It's fine. Uh, but to me, it's just, I don't, I don't see why I would want to listen to middling pop music from 125 years ago. Uh, that was made by like people who were like a minus students in high school and then realized in college that, uh, no, being a creative artist was not going to work out for them. Um, so yeah, uh, that to me is what I feel when I listen to a Broadway song. Usually, 
Uh, and, and I said, uh, give a, give a listen to the episode uh, for my, <laughs> uh, you know, response to that. Uh, some yes. good, some good advertising uh, for another, for more content, content leading to content. Um, yeah, there's a technical internal links term for that. Uh, yeah. Where did you still want to uh, to offer your mea culpa on the pod about playing the wrong version of which you know? Yes. Song? Uh, fortunately, I have no problem summoning this again. Um, I do have one funny story. I'm just gonna start. Wait, sorry. <laughs> just not- Discord fucked us again there. That's okay. That's okay. All right. Um, uh, I came back to you laughing at your own joke, so I assume it was good. That's, that's okay. Um, <coughs> uh, after the musical episode aired, uh, Taylor uh-huh. uh, was texting to me about it, and he said, you know, for the one show, uh, Natasha Pierre and the Comet of 1812... Uh, a show uh-huh. about uh, the most existential 70 pages of War and Peace. Um, mm-hmm. uh, he said, you know, I asked you to play the off-Broadway version of one song, and you played the Broadway version. And I was like, you know, man, I'm sorry. I, You know, I want to I, I, I like to get that stuff right. Like, you know, uh, uh, that's my bad. But then Taylor said, he said three of his friends had texted him to say he played the wrong version. And Taylor said, you know, they're music theater nerds. That's how they be. And I want to take this <laughs> moment to say, music theater nerds listening to this, eat shit. This is not that kind of par- yes. podcast. Uh, we're not hold- held to any standards whatsoever. Uh, yeah. I, I... Eat, eat shit, says Joe. Uh, by contrast, I say, and die. Um... <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> the Shelly special. <laughs> Eat shit nerds. Uh, um you go listen to radio lab um uh, uh play npr during sex go for it okay so paul the funniest thing that happened when taylor and i were trying to record this is that the first night uh we agreed on to do it uh taylor had his apartment to himself uh he had his mic and everything set up and, you know, we kind of talked about a time and he he texts me. He's like, OK, I'm ready to go. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm at the grocery store. And he's like, what do you mean you're at the grocery store? He picked this time. And I'm like, oh, you know, I just I just had to go get something and, you know, maybe I'll be back in an hour. And he's like, that's, that's, that's. I'm like, this is not I'm like, works. Just fucking rookie. You can't expect to just record on the day we say we're going to record. That's not the savage beast yep. way. <laughs> yeah, it's like a long, like psychopathic process of ghosting and um, uh, needling and and like just begging um, that eventually ends in. <laughs> it's like it takes as many days. It's an arduous process of bullshitting and faking each other out to actually get to the day where we record. Yes, yes, and you don't stop. Cool ID, best rapper, you don't stop. Another fucking hundred fucking dollar for the stop for you and your mind. Come on, yeah, you can never define anything but divine love. I'm a savage beast, <laughs> slightly above average at least. Nah, preference is relative. My references consistently uh, bring you to another vicinity. I hit you with the riddles consistently. Dead in the middle, a little triply. Little did we know that we triggered a fissure in the metaphysical imagery. Elegant painted in oil. 
Love is a flower, see how Dissolving the power Is dissolving the hours as well The tower, a bell at the top of it A hawk, a pigeon, a dove A vision of love, an eagle, a falcon even A gold coin and a talon that was um, Prophesized upon earlier papyruses Gaze into the irises of infinite Osiris's we, I think we saved seven minutes there. Honestly, we're just getting better at this. The The listener has received the same amount of entertainment in uh, only 75% of the time. Unfortunately, we're 40 minutes in, so that means like the rest of the podcast is going to be significantly worse than it would have been. That means this podcast is over now. Click. Um. <laughs> this probably will end up being our short. <laughs> this will end up, end up being our shortest episode. <laughs> Fair enough. Works for me. Um. So, uh, oh, wait, I was going to get to our serious topic, but we have an album to review first. Mm, yes. Uh, a very serious album. Yes. Uh, you might even say it's hardcore. Um, you could. It, Let's play a track. It's, it's, yes. That was Mystery by Turntile, uh, Turntile, Turnstile. The first track from their album, Glow On, which I'm going to say for some reason I like as a title, even though it seems like just a really silly, like just barely even thinking pun. Um, But anyway, uh, Joe, um, what if the Backstreet Boys were a hardcore band? I don't think it would sound this that different from this, but it's actually really good. I don't know what to say. I don't. I mean, I I was aware of hardcore as a genre, and I I think I would have yeah. accurately described it, but um, I don't think I could really have said, told you whether it was good. Um, okay, I, I have a little bit more background with hardcore, just because uh, two things. One, there was a guy I knew in college who was in like this uh, study in England thing with me uh, one summer. And uh, he was pretty smart and pretty cool. And he was a guitarist in the local Oklahoma City hardcore scene. Mm. And I went to a show with him or that he was in or whatever. And I was just like, I I sort of got the appeal, but I was like, yeah, this is not my kind of music. It's basically just, if for anybody who doesn't know, hardcore specifically means hardcore punk. Meaning like basically 
the loudest, most aggressive punk that there is. Um, it's a type. Uh, it's a type of thing where, like, occasionally, like when I'd be listening to it, like a riff would line up. You'd be like, this riff is really good. Yeah. But then a lot of it would be very loud and aggressive. And I'd be like, I'm, I'm not really feeling anything here other than aggression. Yeah. There's a, there's a Christian hardcore band. I was into in my Christian music days whose name escapes me now, but I can still remember their one single that I really liked. Um, But there's a lot of yelling and yeah, sometimes the riffs kick in and it absolutely rocks. Um, The other thing I remember from my earlier days about what hardcore is, is um, the esteemed uh, uh, internet critic active uh, on the Something Awful forums uh, 20 years ago, Dr. David Thorpe, Mm. um, who has been mentioned on this podcast before, I'm sure, uh, once described um, hardcore kids as having basically everything wrong with them that you can have wrong with you. Um, And I think... That actually does seem to bear out from what I know of hardcore people. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, uh, it's that kind of a scene. Uh, there apparently there is a hardcore band named uh, Toxic Holocaust. Uh huh. Okay. One. I try to keep my Holocaust uh, non toxic. Yeah, but... Toxic Holocaust. I mean, come on, that's you know problematic <laughs> to the extreme. <laughs> We're not gonna, I'm not following that riff any further. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, let's talk. Let's talk about this band, uh, Turnstile, uh, which uh, you went Backstreet Boys. I was gonna go. This album kind of sounds like uh, if if Weezer had been successful with what they were trying to do, with mm. a kind of harder, chunkier sound. Um, yeah, I think if you if you put popular song if you make a hardcore band play popular songs that's sort of like you know horse two theory convergence a little bit yes because uh, i feel like weezer was coming more from the um the cock rock side of totally things. totally um, yes. yeah 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 but absolutely i can see what you're talking about where they end up sort of in a similar spot yes and and um and i think turnstile for this album uh, which is excellent. I should just say it's just it's great. Uh, yeah, it is really good. Really enjoyable start to finish. Um, it's got the palette of grunge and some early '90s versions of psychedelic rock, um, and then there's flange and flange and echo. Um, yes, on a lot of on like uh, a lot of stuff. We'll listen to Alien Love Call at the end of this segment. Um, so it it definitely appeals for that reason as well. Um, yeah yeah i mean so to go on with my thoughts about hardcore like i basically thought like you did like you know there's some cool elements to hardcore songs sometimes um i love a thick riff uh, and they have those but uh most there's also a lot of really annoying shit in all the hardcore music so if you're like a complete uh pussy and poser like me who can't handle actual hardcore um this uh, complete sellout version of it is highly, highly appealing. That is, yes, yes. It's like if you, <laughs> I had that same thought. I'm like, I don't really know like what good or bad hardcore is, but someone says this is great hardcore. Yeah. I like it. So, yeah. Um, I bet all the real hardcore fans hate it. I'm just telling you based on the fact that not all the songs are super hardcore and that like, I wasn't joking. Like, I think you could make a boy band arrangement of this entire album and it wouldn't sound that weird. Um, uh, I bet the, the super 
intense people hate it. And um, those are also nerds who can suck it as far yes. as I'm concerned. Well, it's like back in the day I had like people who like punk music just talking about how Green Day sucked because they were fake punk yeah. music. And it's like, well, yeah, classic. yes, but... Well, really, all '90s popular rock music was accused of that. I yes. think um, yes. so. Yeah, and I mean, they did sell out. They just made some good music in the process. Yes. So. Oh yes, Fine they with sold me. out. They sold out and, and delightfully, delightfully well. Good job, Green Day. Yeah. Now they're playing <laughs> motherfucking stadiums. They're like on a stadium rock tour with Weezer. So. You know. I always remember the. I think it was like the VH1 behind the music on Metallica. It was definitely a some Metallica TV show I watched like 20 years ago. Um, and somebody was talking to their bassist and like, you know, about asking him about the accusation that they're sellouts. And he goes, do we sell out? Yes. Every night, every city. And I was just like, Oh man. <laughs> Beautiful. Is that, is that supposed to be a clapback? I don't know. <laughs> As as we've mentioned from our uh, Isaac Brock, one of our favorite, his his response to someone asking if he sold sold out is is, um, well, you can work at McDonald's forever. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Uh, That's what you really realize is like um, the idea that this has to be some pure monk like calling is definitely something that's a lot easier to think about when you're a fan. Um, as there's, opposed to the artist, there's no ethical uh, art under capitalism. I don't know how that art creation. Yeah. Uh, uh, actually, I do. There's no agree ethical with that. record yeah. deal. There's no eth- ethical record deal under capitalism. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, for sure. Unless you're just releasing it free to the fans, in which case, um, it's probably problematic some other yeah. way. Yeah. Um, give musicians your money i guess i don't know yeah um clap clap <laughs> clap clap uh-huh yep. uh anything else about this album um no it's i i yeah just to emphasize in case i didn't it's very enjoyable um uh it's um it's like actually it's just fun like this to me is fun mm-hmm. music like it's angry and it's hard but i just sort of like smile listening to it yeah and it's it's you know, there's real melody and it's interesting. And then at times mm-hmm. you're just head banging along to it. It's nice. Absolutely. To have, it's, ni- it's nice to have all those elements in one place. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, you could think of it as like bubblegum pop for dudes almost. Um, <laughs> that's be good. Dudes and cool chicks. Uh huh. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Chicks. Wait, I'm, wait, I, I chicks with holes in their fishnets. <laughs> You know, they could. Uh, I could. Dude could, a dude could have holes holes in his face. Oh, absolutely! Kids at the hardcore show. There's one or two of those. There's yes. no question. Yes, we salute you, fishnet dudes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh, that reminds me. I actually do have something else to talk about that wasn't on the agenda. Oh, oh, I'm um, excited. Yeah, I went to see Bully a week ago. Oh, um, nice. Yeah, which is my first show since the the pandemic ended. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, a couple thoughts. One, um, you know, like so, uh, it was it was you know a lot like just being back. They made us be vaccinated to go in, um, but nobody had masks on, mm-hmm. and um, there was a decent crowd. It wasn't packed. You could 
you know, make your way right up to the front if you want, but it also wasn't like empty. This is a small venue, Club Congress, great place. Um, Would it have been full uh, before? No, honestly, I felt like there were probably more people than there might have been before Mm. because people were maybe trying to get out. I don't know. Tucson is shitty about concerts. I have nothing to defend my city on when it comes to attending indie shows. Um, uh, if they're if the band is like trendy with the the college youth, then they'll get a good showing. But otherwise, they it might not be awesome. Um, anyway, um, uh, but so one thing I noticed is like you know so the show the doors were open at seven thirty, uh, and I was out of the doors by ten p.m. Um, which is a weeknight, so that was nice. But like the woman I'm dating, she goes to like she's into like house music or tech house, um, and she goes to these like. Uh, you know, just dance uh, set things with DJs. And those are like, um, you know, they start at 10 p.m. and they go till 2 a.m. or whenever local jurisdictional rules allow. Um, And, you know, whereas at my show, you know, like maybe a quarter of the people were holding a beer during the show. Like everybody's (laughs) on every kind of drug at the dance shows. Um, And it just really occurred to me like, fuck, man, like, Rock music is basically wholesome now. Like, if you want to keep your kid out of trouble, send them to a rock show, even a punk rock show, like uh, Bully basically is. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. It's really, totally. like, it's just, and this it, the crowd wasn't that old. I mean, it was people in their 20s mostly. Um, but it's just, like, it's mostly just people standing there enjoying the music and, like, you know, going home at a decent hour. Um, uh, yeah. I was losing my mind dancing around as right in front of the stage as i do um and there was one other guy who was sort of dancing too who was even older than me um and also even more jacked than me he had like um sleeveless even more jacked than you <laughs> he had a he had a tank top on and he had like long graying hair and he kept looking at me while i was and he was standing like right center stage uh during the show i didn't say anything to him and then um at the end of the show uh, they played a great set. It was really fun. They went off for, you know, a one-minute break and then came back for the encore. And um, uh, the lead singer stuck out the microphone to him, standing right in front of the thing. And she said, well, you've seen three shows now, so you get to pick what the final cover is going to be. Um, and the choices were, shit, what was the other one? I forget what the other one was, which was a good option. But uh, it was something poppy, I think. But the other one was um, McCluskey, she said, which I was like, I was like standing near him. I just started whispering, McCluskey, McCluskey. <laughs> um, and he started talking. He had super gay voice. And um, he said, uh, well, he'd already seen the other one. Oh, Prince was the other one. Um, he'd already seen Prince. So uh, we would go with McCluskey. And then they just fucking ripped into an amazing cover of Lightsaber Cocksucking Blues. Um, nice. During which I lost it. Um, and uh, anyway, so one great show. That's the big takeaway. And the second one is like, I didn't stick around to talk to him, but I was really curious what that guy's story was. Like there were, the previous show they played was in Phoenix the previous night. So I could see going to both of those shows. But the one before that, like, I like Bully. They're a good band. Um, if you're a, a middle-aged person following them around the country, I just yeah. I want to know your story and what's going that's, on with it. <laughs> that's interesting. Just following following any indie band like at that level, like to one small show at the other, it's just it, that's quite a commitment. Like, yeah, you got to be. Yeah, especially on the western leg of the tour. So you're traveling yes. hours between each city. You know. 
you're basically racing the tour van. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, fun show. Um, and uh, had no expectation that I was going to get to hear anyone, let alone a band who was really good at it, play Light Sick and Cocksucker Blues live ever. Um, but that's a great song. I will and say I enjoyed it. I really like your point that like rock shows are now like the like calm place to go. Like where you're oh, like, it's kids. just n- no danger whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, that's that was totally true in Portland. Like the last few years, like you even even if it was a younger show, it was where the the people who wanted to stand still and be a little awkward would go to see music. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, I can go to a hip hop show and get my shit rocked uh, yeah. pretty easily. Um, well, I've never been to. So- uh, like a i've never been to like a dance performance i mean the type of thing where like it started you know that the youth of of the the current youth attends yeah um but that seems to be as you said the place that's like more yeah i don't know dangerous but like you're gonna get into trouble I mean, dangerous in the sense that there's an amazing amount of drugs going on. Uh, probably pretty easy to get roofied if you're not paying attention. Yes. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, the whole thing is different. Like, for them, it's like, you know, the the DJs are up there and they're the people who made the music you're listening to. But ultimately, there are a couple dudes sort of, you know, moving or hitting buttons on some soundboards. Um, so the focus, it seems like becomes more about going with like your group of friends and just like having a little dance party amidst the larger dance party. Yes. Yes. That's, that's seems to be the impression I get. Um, sounds fun. Uh, yeah. Especially if you're in a pool in Vegas. Oh yes. That would be great. Yeah. Um, but I'm not in a pool. I'm in my basement. So, (laughs) Uh, I don't even know that why well, I made that depressing remark, but there it is. <laughs> um, well, if you're in your pool in your basement, that's even more depressing. So, all right, let's listen to uh, one more turnstile song and then talk uh, about other depressing things. Yep. Uh, I'm going to piss. I'll be right back. Okay. I'm going to get a beer. Right, that was uh, Alien Love Call by Turnstile featuring Blood Orange. Um, so you can see if they're collaborating with people like that, that they are trying to branch out and did so successfully. Um, Joe, I sent you and our other friends um, earlier this week uh, an essay slash 
post with a capital A um, by my favorite blogger, uh, Freddie DeBoer, um, current favorite. Um, Freddie, uh, just because it's a funny, it's, I'll say it just because it's an interesting illustration of the way you end up uh, following things on the internet era. Like, he's a dude that I first remember encountering when, like, in 2008, Megan McArdle, who was then a blogger for The Atlantic, um, called him sort of dismissively uh, uh, internet ob- ombudsman Freddie DeBoer, I guess because he was really annoying in her compl- comments. Mm. Um, and so Good I started... Good job, Freddie. Yeah, exactly. I started... Well, at the time, I was a huge Megan McArdle fan. I know. Um, uh, uh, woo, I know. I was a libertarian, believe it or not. Yes, right, 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 right. We'll, we'll, yeah, yeah. we'll allow it for that over. Uh, you know, I just... I've lashed myself in private. If you must lash me in public, we can get to that. Anyway, um, so I started noticing, like I started, you know, like reading some of the arguments he was making in comments. And yeah, Freddie DeBoer is a pretty, it's a good name. It's nice and memorable. Um, mm. And, um, you know, then I uh, I got into Twitter pretty shortly after that and I followed him and he was very much engaged with like all these like sort of um, – uh, you know, at the time I was into like a pretty, the, I've always been into pretty eclectic groups from as far as what they th- have to say about politics, gradually becoming more leftist over my time. But at the, t- at the time I was into these like sort of smart conservative type young blogger guys and Freddie talked to and about them a lot. And, uh, but he's a leftist. Um, and really the first, you know, like living, breathing current leftist I was exposed to in terms of, huh. you know, not yeah. not being a liberal, but a real socialist slash communist. Um, and um, so that was, I mean, you know, I knew that, li- that you know, communism was a thing. But um, anyway, so over the 13 years since then, I have followed his writing off and on. Um, I think he even followed me on Twitter back when he was on it in like 2010, uh, when Twitter was not as big of a deal. Um, yes, he but, reply uh, on Twitter. Like I talked, I talked to him about basketball on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, I've talked to him too. To like good that. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like before, like 2013, Twitter was fucking awesome. Um, yes, like, uh, like unless the person was like already extremely well known, they would reply yeah. to you because there just weren't that many people. Yeah, if they were even just kind of well known, they would just talk to you, and you, yes. know, you would have a real substantive conversation because people didn't expect to just be screaming at each other all the time. Yeah. Um, so um, anyway, uh, followed him off and on. Uh, he's written some great posts. Uh, never forgot about him. Um, he's he's written off and on for various personal reasons, um, uh, which you can read about. Um, but so this week he pr- uh, published an essay called "Emotional Overinvestment in Meaning" on September seventeenth on his blog um and um uh i liked it so much i like all of his posts but i like this one so much that i made a point to send it to my friends um at which point it became clear that it was locked so because you know it's a Substack. Uh, most of his stuff is free but that one was subscriber only which means that you the listener are fucked um unless you subscribe to his uh post um or you like, can just listen to us talk about it um, like which is can, what most um, people do <laughs> I feel like uh, if you know Paul, Paul will send you the PDF as a as a good it, advertisement for subscribing to exactly FDBs. Okay, stuff. how about this? If I don't know who you are and you listen to this, then absolutely email me for that PDF because I just want to know who's out there that <laughs> yes. invested in this podcast. Yes. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so just to to go over what the essay does real quick, and then Joe and I can talk about it. Yeah. Um, it um, it talks about um the fact that you know I think we all know uh, a lot of structures of uh, meaning and uh, direction in people's lives have been. Uh, torn down or radically altered in the last century uh, and especially half century. Um, you know, we're talking about things like church, family structure, um, the terms of how most people's employment goes. Um, uh, those are probably three of the biggest things. Uh, you may have some other uh, examples. Um, have all been, you know, just radically altered. You know, even gender relations, all those sorts of things have been radically altered um, for, in many cases, really good reasons. Um, but the result is that all the things that people used to do to give narrative meaning to their lives, to feel like there was some point to what they were doing have kind of been torn up and cast aside. And whether we had good reasons for doing that or not, um, which the essay thinks we did. And I think we did. Um, the result is that we're sort of, uh, left wondering how to find meaning in our lives. Um, and this is a yeah. tough problem. That can I, I, can have, I read a, yeah, yeah. a Please, quote go with, from it? Um, yeah. He, he puts it, uh, uh, so he says, these things were part of a larger quilt of order that once provided people, certain types of people, with a durable sense of how the world was meant to operate. Put it this way, there was a time when most Americans would at least understand the term the American dream in a good faith way, uh, relating to it, relating it to an assumption of opportunity and just rewards. They might personally reject the concept our question starts with truth, but they would be able to interact with it, understanding that most people around them believed it sincerely. Now that phrase and others like it come to come to us pre ironized, ironized, mm -hmm. um, ironized is how I would say ironized. Really like that yeah. word. Uh, some still burn a candle for the idea, but nobody assumes, but nobody assumes that most people take it seriously to take the American dream seriously yeah. in media or academia. Um, yeah, that's a really, that's the perfect quote for what I was trying to say. Thank you. Um, and so then he says, sorry, no, that's it. Okay. Um, and so then he says, um, you know, maybe this lack of meaning is why we all end up, uh, he gets to the emotional overinvestment part of the title, um, doing whatever various uh, insane screaming at people about things that we like and they have supposedly disrespected online that we do, whether that be um, being an alt-right dickhead who shouts at women or whether that be... Uh, like a Marvel fan who screams about somebody being cast slightly the wrong way or uh, Gamergate. I don't think he said that word, but that would be a pretty classic example of this. Um, uh, all those sorts of things. Maybe that's people, you know, having that lack of like uh, of more substantial meaning that they might have once had um, if we take all these narratives to be true. Um, uh, and just, you know, sort of uh, uh, incorrectly trying to... To, to replace that with uh, just being a really big fan of fucking Captain Marvel. Um, and uh, that uh, the the very weakness and thinness of these things that we pour ourselves into, the, the very unfulfilling aspects of defining yourself as even, say, a Radiohead fan, and I think Radiohead is great, obviously, um, are why we then all become insane. Um, because we... Uh, we just have this sort of <coughs> cognitive dissonance sort of thing going on. Um, that's, yeah. I think, the gist of it. Would you edit or amend or add anything, Joe? No, I think you you come at it the right way. It's that that the the, the point that is relevant 
um, to our podcast certainly is replacing um, a general standard of what life means or how it should be ordered with um, various uh, you know fandoms and consumer obsessions and overall aesthetics yeah um or creeds uh yeah that that and and um trying to find you know fill the meaning hole uh with (laughs) fill my meaning hole this daddy uh with like (laughs) you know my my example okay because i'm trying not to mention um we we swore we wouldn't mention the band. Yeah, there's a certain band. Yeah. Yes. Um, so my but, but so is a stand-in is for me is sort of Harry Potter, um, uh-huh. which is um, to get into it. It is a thing which I like um, mm-hmm. a great deal. Um, like I I enjoy the books. I enjoy the movies, um, and but and i've i've been to the theme park a couple times but it is something that i spend maybe like 20 hours a year like r- really engaged with you know maybe that's mm-hmm. a little but it's not like a big uh investment but now it is like that is my fandom for it is so minor compared to like what an obsessive fan of harry potter would do um, yeah like I can imagine you telling such a person that you were a fan of Harry Potter and then just like kind of being disappointed when they find out what your actual engagement is yes. with it. Not to mention they they probably would have like preference of which Harry Potter podcast is better. Like they would all of them. Um, mm-hmm. This is the best Harry Potter Harry Potter podcast as of two minutes ago. <laughs> yes, um, but you know that that and and. Um, and like Star Wars, like there is um, a uh, a level of obsession that is in a death spiral with capitalism, where because mm-hmm. the internet is able to uh, generate and sustain and encourage this kind of fandom in a feedback loop, that then these people are, you know, encouraged to spend more and more money and go deeper and deeper into it. Well, I'd say they first they go deeper and deeper into it where there's the opportunity to get them to spend more and more money. And like suddenly you're spending five thousand dollars. That's like a real amount for like two nights, three days and two nights at a Star Wars hotel. And uh-huh. you've committed so much of your time and money to that that like it's like a key part of like your year, your identity and and in this consumption yeah. in in this consumption oriented way not in a like fandom way even it's just in terms of consumption that, yeah and i guess yeah go ahead no that's Sorry. that's just that that's how it's like it's the shit that's like maybe like where a lot of the shift is yeah i guess to me like it's not just i get what you're saying that it is consumption oriented and that it is gross that like like if I were that person, I would feel like, man, is somebody getting rich off of me being really into robots? Um, <laughs> but um, on the other hand, I think that's that's one thing. But what really like has always sort of skeeved me out about that kind of fandom, and um, I should go back in a second and talk about because like this is something that I think I've always had complicated thoughts about, um, is just like 
I mean, okay, I am going to go back. Um, <laughs> so like, yeah, yeah. So like I was raised super Christian. We've talked about this on the show. Um, and like, like the kind of Christian where, um, the point of living is you need to devote your life, soul, body to the service of God. Um, and he has like some, you know, uh, peculiar and exacting ideas of what that entails. Right. Um, but in particular, you know, he can also read all your thoughts and, um, you know, your goal is ultimately to have your sort of whole being and thought life be in communion with him. Um, so, uh, there's that. And this is, they, they will go out of their way to say that, you know, this is the only thing that will give your life true meaning is to mm. have this kind of relationship with God. Um, they will go, the people who are doing this are often people who themselves were not raised that way and, um, have been converted, have come to the faith through, uh, lacking that kind of meaning and finding it in Christianity. So they think this is the best thing about it and it's something they really need to impress upon you. And so they won't, will not only make the positive case for the meaning that you can apply to your life from Christianity. So this is all stuff Freddie was talking about, but also they will make the negative case for you as you're growing up about how meaningless everything else is. Like you cannot find meaning in money or in careers or in sex or drugs or, um, all the things that all these people had also tried to find meaning in. Um, this is funny because these when you hear all these things when you're growing up as a child, like you just sort of take them as like wisdom from the ages, and then you grow up and you think about it, and you're like, man, it's just so easy to like read the psychoanalysis of the person who was telling you this thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but anyway, um, so I think that did a couple things for me with nerd fandom. Is one like. Um, uh, you know, growing up and, you know, encountering people like many of our mutual close friends um, uh, who are uh, big enthusiasts for some classic nerd sub- cultures, subcultures and ourselves being parts of those things in various ways. You know, like you said, um, you really like Harry Potter. Um, uh, you had a huge Transformers collection and I documented it for the 2000 Trinity Preparatory, <laughs> Preparatory yeah. School yearbook. Um uh, so it's not like, and you know, like we have friends, like I've watched anime for 20 straight hours. Um, that's happened in my life. Um, uh, so it's not like I've, I've never flirted with nerd culture, but I never, I always felt very apprehensive about just fully identifying as the kind of person who is just like, I'm going to be a ready player one guy. I'm going to be super into every fucking thing about this pop culture thing. And I just wondering how much that has to do with one having this other version of it pushed on me when I was young about like, you know, like an even more totalizing version of it in Christianity. Um, And two, um, uh, and finding that, you know, um, that sort of totalizing mindset uh, distasteful and wanting to get away from it. And three, also just being like, well, if you're going to do it, though, like, I don't know. Um, Catholicism actually does seem like a better choice to me than Inuyasha. Um, <laughs> yes. Well, that's I mean, I think that that. So that's that's some extensive thoughts on a, this. And I would be happy to hear uh, what that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that that, you know, I think that that the. Well, let's let's take it to you know the our our topic here, which is mm-hmm. music. Um, certainly, yeah. identifying as a music person, someone who takes music yeah. pretty seriously, 
uh, has led us to have this podcast. And yeah, and I think is something that that let's say if you're looking for a relationship partner, you know, it's often I think both of us have perceived it as a good thing to have found someone who similarly identifies um, in those situations. Um, you know, like mm-hmm. times where, you know, that's like this other, this person that we're dating is really into music too. And it's like, mm-hmm. um, in that positive sense, you know, there is a way where finding meaning and connection in something, uh, is, uh, you know, it's not, obviously it's a positive, it's a positive to be, uh, you know, to like music and be able to share those ideas and emotions with other people. But mm-hmm. um, certainly also like going farther and like identifying yourself that way seems to um, create some benefits too. And and that's kind of where it, it's like the, the hyper version of that is where kind of the, the sickness starts to come in. So whether it's like, you know, uh, uh, hyper religious or hyper, you know, something like high culture or like hyper Marvel movie. It just seems to be that level of like obsession with it that can mm-hmm. be uh, damaging. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, th- it's like it is damaging. It causes people to be crazy and go out and yell at people on the internet, which fucking sucks. Yes. Um, <laughs> Um, and that's one thing I hope, you know, like we'd like to make fun of people on this podcast, but I don't actually hate the 1975. I actually hate the 1975. Who am I kidding? Um, but no, um, yeah, (laughs) no, I, no, just kidding. Um, no, I agree. Like it would be, it would actually suck if we went and like, we're like yelling at, you know, tween girls who like the 1975 on, on Tumblr or something or TikTok or something like that. Um, and we would never do that. Um, it's and it's it's just like I think that uh, like I would be against this kind of fandom anyway because I think it just doesn't actually supply the meaning in life that you know Freddie is supposing might be the reason people are getting that way. Um, and now I'm wishing I had actually uh, checked up in my uh, my Simone de Beauvoir um, because her ethics of ambiguity actually talks about this kind of person. She has a whole taxonomy of people who are not good ex- existentialists, basically. And one of them is the, like the enthusiast, basically the person who gives themselves to some external object, um, oh, uh, as a way of finding meaning in life. Yeah. And, yeah. um, so maybe for next podcast, I will read up on that and have a, a juicy quote, which is also not coincidental because Freddie has cited that book as one of his favorites. So, um, his, his thoughts may be going in that direction. Who knows? Well, I, I think um, it's, it's pretty yeah. clear that, uh, some people who are, you know, super into Harry Potter or star Wars, um, or even in some of the people I know who are really into a band that cannot be mentioned, at a level far beyond me, um, lack a a variety or depth of self reflection that, like you and I, yes. clearly possess. That's yes, I mean obviously, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're like, no, I, um, I cannot. I I have another way to event, like understand myself than by going this deep into uh, a, a fixation. Yeah, exactly. I just don't think like I love art. I love it. Um, I think, like I have said this before, and I think it's true in at least in a certain sense, like I think art is the point of life. 
that said, um, it's it can't be like there's no single piece of art or single artist who would be worth just like you know um, making that the centerpiece of my life. At the end of the day, your life has to be about you in a really important sense and the people around you, obviously. Um, right. But um, you have to you have to be ultimately satisfied with the things that you are doing in life personally, if you ask me. And trying to find it through um, sort of this sort of weird online community thing we have now that offers some of the benefits of uh, socialization, such as, yeah. you know, like approval, um, but not many of them. Like, uh, you know, just everything that happens when you're physically in the same per- place as somebody else. And I'm you know not talking about sex. I'm talking about, you know, everything <laughs> else. Um uh, you know, that maybe if that you're substituting everything with that kind of thing, like it's just, it's just not going to make life worth living. I don't think, and it, you know, maybe it could for some people, but I think what Freddie is saying is the evidence is that so far it's not working. And I, I tend to agree. Yeah. Well, he said it, um, he said it well in, a, in another of his newsletters, uh, which yeah. was about Joe Rogan. Um, yeah. he, he said, and near the end of that, uh, there used to be a space for people to just be things in an organic way mm-hmm. without being symbols of everything other people des- despise. But then they invented the Internet and we've been living in hell ever since. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and pretty much. I-, I blame the Internet for just pretty much all of this. I, <laughs> I just think that that is what... Um, I can't say that it means the internet is unequivocally bad, but I do blame it for this particular effect. Yeah. Um, and, and you may be right about that. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, just, yes. I, I know that I've heard recently some accounts from a fan group, um, a certain rock star that we won't mention, uh, recently distanced himself from the Facebook group that was his favored fan group uh, because they were getting too uh, weirdly political. But I heard ah. some of the accounts of the things that happened in this fan group where 40 of them would show up to a meetup all wearing the same fan group t-shirt and that many of the original members were married to each other and they were just like kind of sad, lost people. And that oh, man. is, that is I, I blame the internet for, for bringing those people together over this very old band versus like... I, yeah. I wish they'd found a more a richer way to uh tease out their life's uh life's purpose. Um I will say I th- we've talked about them on this podcast. I know a couple who met through a 311 message board and they seem pretty happy, so That's who not knows? saying meeting through the internet <laughs> is bad. Lots of, I mean I am, you know, I'm friends with lots of people yeah. who met through the internet, so That's true. <laughs> Um, no, but I mean, if you're right, I, you may be right about that. It's a, it's a, it's a, a plausible theory mm-hmm. that just the dynamics of communication on the internet, um, make it so that, um, both, uh, solipsistic, um, masturbatory mutual affection for something and, um, just ragey, uh, out, outwardly directed, um, paroxysms of hatred are both, you know, sort of facilitated by the internet. But 
Um, if so, that also, I mean, it's a point that's been made, but it, it just occurred to me that it kind of sucks if that's really the case. <laughs> like, it seemed like we had this great way to help everybody talk to each other. And it's allowed great things like, you know, you and me and all of our best male friends are people who see each other, you know, once or twice a year at most and are maintaining uh, friendships that were formed in person over two decades ago. Um, and that part is awesome. Um also, porn is great, but um, some of the rest of this uh, is, uh, it's just a bummer that it seems like we gave somebody a cool thing and it, it's its not cool um, at all. Yeah. Well, I, I think, you know, for the explanation, I go back to um, uh, Marshall McLuhan, one of my favorites, and the, the core idea that the medium is the message, um, mm-hmm. or the media is the message, yeah. the medium is the massage depending which version of the book you have um, where, you know, people are doing this on the internet and it's not like a side effect, but like they're on the internet to do this uh, at this point. Yeah. This thing. And it doesn't really matter what the topic is like. It, yes. It's, it's, you know, for those who aren't familiar with this concept, it's like basically the idea is like, it doesn't matter what's on the TV. What matters is the TV is on. Like that's what people Mm. are into. Um, That's what gives people comfort and pleasure. It's just that the TV is on and not that like they like the particular program or like particularly invested in it. And that, you know, because there's certainly certain qualities of just television. Um, And I think this is is making me glad that I am not a TV on in the background type of person. (laughs) Yes. Well, you're, most of us are the internet on in the foreground type people. Yeah. So it's true. It's, uh, not, I think in some ways it's not much better um, uh, at times. Certainly you're wise to uh, spend as little time on Twitter as possible, which is the perfect example of this where you just, oh man, you go on looking for controversy to yeah. fight and it just doesn't matter what it's about. I remember just having that moment of realization and be like, ah, I, I just don't enjoy this anymore. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the thing is I think it's not like everybody does that kind of thing and falls into this ki- these habits, but it just, the people who do get selected into these things because they're the people who post the most. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the biggest posters. Yes. Um, Paul, do the you think- The biggest uh... post wins. Do you think the younger generations are still doing this? Like, are they, are they falling into the same thing? Oh yeah, yeah. As I is it gonna get see? Worse? I think. I mean, this the thing is like these kinds of dynamics we're talking about are basically like lizard brain social instincts that humans have, and yeah. young people are gonna be worse at that shit than old people. Like, well, so, um, and old people are terrible at it. One of our peers asked on Twitter, just in general, like, do high schoolers still? identify themselves like based on the the bands they like mm. you know that yeah. i would guess not just because yeah. i don't fi- i think people just listen to like disembodied tracks floating through their algorithms I've, um, seen, I've seen some evidence on like the radiohead subreddit that there's still like 19 year olds who have their you know sacred bands but okay yeah that's true i guess yeah. i would say the hipster nerds will still be cool like us yeah. um maybe few, i don't know about everybody else them. There yeah. might be, but they will exist forever, for sure. Yes, yes. We, we, we love you, hipster nerds. I, this I truly believe. Punk will never die. Uh, punk bands, punk waves, punk yeah. movements will die, but the spirit of punk will exist forever, and it will always produce people like that. 
yeah people people producing like pop music at you know by pop music i just mean like three minute long songs like in the easiest way possible will like now exist forever yeah and i i'm sorry i don't even mean punk as like a sound or music i'm talking about punk as the concept of like being a weirdo outsider yes um exactly yeah oh man i didn't even i mean i I could keep going on this, but I think we're at a good point. I was going to talk about Ted yeah. Lasso, but you know, we don't need mm. to talk. We don't need to be more people talking about Ted Lasso. Yeah, I've never seen it, and I never will. So yeah, it's a, it's fine. That's fine. <laughs> it's yes. I, I my one comment about Ted Lasso is that like it it's kind of like why you can't. Why why can't we just like have like kind of a dumb like sitcom, just have a, th- a dumb sitcom yes. that you like watch it never think about instead of having people having Game of Thrones level arguments about the plot direction uh, oh my god like, just <laughs> shut up it's just a dumb sitcom starring Jason oh my Sudeikis. god like <laughs> yeah <laughs> just... <laughs> no okay and that's exactly what that's okay I I know you weren't trying to bring this up but that is exactly what the essay is talking about yes, it really is, is it's like it is a perfect example. <laughs> Yeah, like, like I wouldn't have to feel like oh, I never want to watch that show uh, if there were not – if I just didn't want to be – it was was not sort of grossed out by the fact that so many people are talking about Ted Lasso. If it, Otherwise, I would just be like, sure, I don't know. Maybe I'd watch it someday. Um, that's it's, the only reason I was sniffed at it just now. It's uh, – you know, I think as much as I, like, enjoyed going to Harry Potter world, like, I think – Harry Potter would be more enjoyable if that didn't exist. Like if you, if you cut off like all the extra stuff and you're just like, you had some books and some good movies based on them. Yeah. And that's it. It would be better. I would enjoy Harry Potter more. Well, and I guess the lesson there is, you know, uh, maybe you know about it. I certainly don't, but I bet there's some fantasy young adult fantasy series out there. That's basically just as good as Harry Potter yeah. and has none of that baggage. Yes. Um, you just have to know about it. I'm writing it. It's called yes. Dildo Dragons and the <laughs> Seven Balls. I don't know. It's much sexier than Harry Potter. Um, Joe, they will make eight movies out of that. I don't well, know what you're talking will. about. <laughs> uh, if However many books you write plus one, that's how many movies there will be. I know. That's um, nice. You get the bonus movie now. Yeah, just an extra an extra $200 million in your bank account or whatever. Uh, oh, man. All right. Well, Joe, good pod. Yeah. We should delete the first 20 minutes of every pod. Absolutely. Uh, everybody, please like and subscribe. Um, tell everybody on the internet, in your review, on iTunes, about how good the missing 25 minutes of this podcast were. Because you know in your heart that they were the best 25 minutes of podcasting you ever heard. Um, so write that up, please, so that the algorithms will tell other people to finally make us famous. Um, yes. And if they don't make us famous, um, hopefully they at least make us something that people on the Internet are just really angry about. Yeah. I want I want somebody to get swatted because uh, somebody else <laughs> said something mean about me. But kind of like adorably <laughs> swatted by like kittens yeah. or something. Do it do it in like a place like if you know you that your police chief is cool, like that's where you want to swat. You know, that's, he's not gonna like there aren't any cool <laughs> police chiefs. Maybe there's one maybe there's one town where the police chief is a dog and like, yeah. it's like a cool dog too. 
Is are you sure it's not your town and that the dog is Goodlos? Are you sure about yes, this? That's actually very possible. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, it's a, this would be more Chief like Puglo, ba- more like the Bandit King. Of, uh, <laughs> there we go. Um, your dog is the antagonist or the protagonist in the story. Yes, uh, I have to go walk my dog. Uh, that's uh-huh. not a euphemism. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. This podcast, this podcast is over. Fuck it. Fuck it. 